and read contemporaneous eyewitness accounts of things that actually happened. And then I confirmed it. I actually read the Palestine Post for every day that he worked there. Really? Which was very emotional for me because, you know, I'd read the day's posts and I would, I would imagine my father standing there working on these articles. I'd often come across his byline. So uh, he, he loved the, Pal the, the Palestine Post. Hello, everybody. This is Avi Abelo. Today, I am sitting with not just an author, not just an old neighbor, but an old friend. At least I was a kid. You were a married adult already, back from New York City. And uh, Danny Shertoff, anyone who is not familiar, or Daniel Shertoff. And today, we are sitting together because uh, Danny wrote a fabulous book. Fabulous book. Anyone who is interested in Israel, the history of Israel, um, a personal side to understanding everything, Palestine posts. Now, I have to tell you, Danny, this is, this is a picture of his father, Mordechai, and it's the, his father's letters that make up this book, and you wove them together wonderfully, beautifully. You look like your father. Yeah. yeah. Am I not the first one to tell you no, that? No, no, not at all. I think we, we were built exactly the same. We looked the same, same speech pattern. Um, yeah, yeah, same hairline. Same hairline. <laughs> so so let, let's get into this. Why, and again, it's called Palestine Posts, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel based on the letters of Mordechai Shertoff by Danny Shertoff, uh, your father. Right. So why did you write this book? It's a wonderful story, wonderful question. Um, you know, my father lived in Israel during the period of the War of Independence. He was the foreign news editor and the war correspondent for the Palestine Post, and he was secretly in the Haganah. And I grew up with his stories, and they were amazing stories, but you know, you eventually get tired of hearing them. But still, um, in his 80s, he decided to write his memoirs, and I wanted to help him and support him. So I produced them, and I edited them, and we put out a nice booklet for family. Then a couple of years later he died and after he died I went through his papers and I discovered a cache of letters, about 400 letters. And I thought, oh this is lovely, I'll scan them and I'll preserve them for my children and if they're interested they'll look at them. But then I started to read them and I realized that there were many names mentioned that my children wouldn't recognize but that I would recognize. So I started to annotate the names. Then I came across names that I didn't know about. Like, who were these people? And my father made reference to incredible historical events that I had only dimly become aware of. And I thought, I need to understand this better. So I started researching the history of the War of Independence, and I read everything I could put my hands on. You know, the, the, uh, the go-to secondary sources by Benny Morris and, and uh, Collins and Lapierre and all the others. But I also read eyewitness accounts of actors on the other side, like John Bagot Glubb, who was the commander of the Jordanian Legion, and Count Folk Bernadotte, who was the UN mediator. I wanted to get a really broad view of the war. So I think what I really was trying to do, and maybe I didn't even understand it when I started, 
was I wanted to, first of all, understand the War of Independence because maybe it would help me understand the current conflict that we find ourselves in with the Palestinians. And at the same time, all of a sudden, I have this opportunity to meet my father as a 25-year-old. Right. I have his letters, and he and his parents all saved everything. So I have both sides of the correspondence. And I had the opportunity to see this dialogue between my parents, between my father, his parents, his siblings, um, and it was an incredible picture. Um, suddenly, I got to see what was he like as a man younger than my, my children are. Mm. And in fact, there's a character in a novel that I love who says, who wouldn't want to meet their parents um, as when they were children before they became your parents? And I suddenly had that opportunity. So what I ended up doing was taking his letters, putting them in their historical context. The letters are introduced. And if there's a reference to something that people may not be aware of, I explain the historical context. And I have about 900 footnotes, which I thought would be excruciatingly boring. But readers are telling me that the footnotes are wonderful. Oh, yeah. I find myself also every once in a while. I'm not going to get everyone, but I'm finding myself looking down for names or, or connecting to events, right. um, Yiddish words. Yeah. But again, just, just to give people perspective here, the reason your book is called Palestine Posts is because your father worked as a journalist right. for the Palestine Post, which is the precursor to today's Jerusalem Post. Exactly. And he was really uh, on the front lines, eyewitness, pre-1948, to all the events that we read about in the history books. Um, and he's right, because he was there, and he gives his own insight into everything that's happening, into the bombings, into the Brit things happening with the British, into uh, the United Nations events taking place, and he's, and he's there as the eyewitness, also writing about it in his articles in the paper. Yeah, so, exactly. And, you know, it's so interesting. We live in a time now where, a time of narratives, where everybody's story or everybody's version of events is legitimate, even if it's ludicrous. Right. Um, so, and people don't know history, so they're not in any position to actually test or to challenge asserted narratives. But I have this amazing opportunity to come back and read contemporaneous eyewitness accounts of things that actually happened. And then I confirmed it. I actually read the Palestine Post for every day that he worked there. Really? Which was very emotional for me because, you know, I'd read the day's posts and I would, I would imagine my father standing there working on these articles. I'd often come across his byline. So uh, he, he loved the, Pal the, the Palestine Post posts uh, at the time. And um, it's just such a different way to think about history and about learning history. Because when we read a history book, that's what the historians have massaged. Right. And they, they can't help but have an angle. But here, we're trying to go back to actually primary sources. This is what the guy saw. Now, of course, he had his own prejudices. And he was very politically not correct. There's some things that I cringed. Some things that I took out, some things I didn't take out. But I feel like this is a really accurate description of what happened. And it makes you feel like you're there. You're right, actually sure. experiencing these things. Um, his description of the bombing of the Palestine Post mm -hmm. is, is incredible. You know, he writes home, Dear Mom and Dad, you read the article that I wrote describing the bombing, but now let me tell you what really happened wow. in 4,500 words.
And it's a very detailed description. I don't think there's any other eyewitness account of that bombing. So uh, it really made me rethink what's history about. We live in an era of fake news. And here we have an opportunity to witness, to experience history as it's happening. So let me ask you this. What is the most surprising aspect of history that was opened up to you by reading your father's letters as opposed to what we've been taught or uh, what the narrative is? Okay, there are a few things that I learned that I didn't appreciate. Um, I had heard that the British mandate was harsh for the Jews, but I didn't really understand until my father described his specific experiences. And it wasn't, it wasn't straightforward, it wasn't simple, because for example, he describes events where the Haganah was illegal and they were not allowed to have arms. So, but at the same time, they needed them to defend themselves against the Arabs. And the Arabs had arms. I mean, they owned arms. So there were instances of the British catching the Haganah soldiers with arms, confiscating the arms, selling them to the British, and then taking the... Wait, who, who sold them to the British? The Brit I'm sorry, um, selling the arms to the Arabs. The right. British taking the arms, selling them to the Arabs, and then taking the Haganah officers or members to Shar Shem, Damascus Gate, and leaving them to a mob of Arabs, which then tore them apart. Wow. And it happened more than once. Um, an amazing example is the Exodus. You know, um, the Exodus left France with 4,500 desperate refugees on the way to, to Palestine um, during the period that the UN Special Committee on Palestine was in Palestine doing the research. The boat arrived at the shores of Palestine. It had been stalked, followed, and then attacked by the British. The, the passengers, the refugees, were unloaded into smaller boats and taken back to Europe. And my father describes the, the idea of the, what the British did. I think of it as like uh, Moshe coming to Paro and saying, let my people go, and God hardening Paro's heart. The British were so cruel that they would not allow these refugees in. And that event had a big impact on the UN. The UN was horrified by the cruelty of the British. Really? So I didn't really understand at the same time, my father describes uh, Yididim, British officers who were friends or sympathetic to the Jews. But the whole story of the British in Israel, in Palestine, is very complicated. They had as many as 100,000 troops. They were in dire economic straits after World War II. And there was rationing in England, but they still felt the need to maintain the blockade against Israeli immigra Jewish immigration. And to me, that was fascinating. I mean, I really did not understand that that element. Wow. And, th and then the other uh, question about being surprised, love to hear what you were most surprised about learning about your father. Again, through these letters, like, again, you were, you were his son, you knew him during his life, and all of a sudden, what came out the most? Like, really, Dad, that's you? That's a lovely question. Um, it was very much an emotional journey for me because I feel like I had a good relationship with my father and I, I took care of him, but he was a difficult guy. And I think all fathers and sons have these issues. 
And to have the opportunity to read the correspondence between him and his father mm -hmm. was fascinating. I first of all understood that the issues that I had in negotiating my relationship with him were similar to the issues he had with his father. Interesting. But his, he and his father wrote to each other only in Hebrew. And my father had been a rabbinical student. His father was a professor of Talmud. So they were extremely knowledgeable about secular as well as Jewish issues. Right. So my father and his father could not put together a sentence without a biblical or Talmudic or Perfect. rabbinic allusion. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was just gorgeous. So I didn't, he was so completely emotionally invested in Judaism and in Israel. Uh, and I, I was really touched by that. Um, on a more practical level, I discovered that my father proposed to a woman who turned him down. Oh, wow. I discovered that while he was waiting for her response, he was socially active. Um, he had a very, very rich social life. Uh, they, his friends, who were all mostly Americans, who came to also help with the effort, uh, were active concert goers. And, and, you know, life in Jerusalem didn't stop during the siege. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. There were seven active cinemas. There were concerts. There was Leonard Bernstein came for a tour. And he and his chevra were very, very actively involved in the cultural scene in Jerusalem in 47 and 48. At the same time, there was a, a richness to their Jewish life as well. You know, he describes going to the Kotel for Shavuot and, I mean, uh, approaching um, the Kotel because they couldn't. They, they, Getting they, as close was, as he was, was able it, to the yeah, I mean, they, they could. They, no, they could because the, uh, there was, uh, the Jews still were in the old, uh, in the Jewish quarter, but it was still very challenging. So I was surprised by the richness of the life, by his utter faith that the state would come into being and that we would win. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was just really impressed by that. And let me ask you this, because you write how, interestingly enough, obviously your father was here pre-48, yeah. strong Zionist, the family, your grandparents, a family of strong Zionists, yet your father ended up going back, which I think you don't even understand why, didn't come through. Um, and then no one from the family ended up coming and, and moving to Israel, yet you are here today. Is part of why you're here because you grew up with that Zionism in your own home from your father and grandparents as well? Absolutely. Um, that is the biggest question left over from the book, and I speculated about it in the last chapter. Um, but yes, my father was here during an incredible time period. Um, he met my mother here. And the idea was uh, they went, they got married in England, where she was from, moved to the U.S. temporarily. So I grew up always with the idea, oh, we're moving back, we're moving back. And I knew they never would. And then, like many people of my generation, I was so influenced by the Six-Day War that as a 14-year-old, I decided I have to be in Israel. I have to live in Israel. Now, and I would only date a woman who I knew who also was so you got married to Arlene knowing one day the both of you, and I know Arlene. Hi, Arlene, when you're watching this. So you knew when you got married one day you'd move to Israel. The first date, we said to each other, Israel, yes, no, because if no, we'll have a lovely evening, but it'll only, that'll be it. Um, so she was also committed. It took us a little while to, to make it here, but we did. We made it here in our early 30s and raised all of our children here. But there was no question that I was going to live here. And I'm, I'm sorry that my father didn't come earlier. He and my mother both 
had wonderful entry-level jobs, he in journalism, she in the film industry. But I, I think that my father, after having gone through the war, the excitement, the, the dynamism, the terror, the drama of the war, it might have been harder for him to think about, okay, now we have to build. Mm. And I'm not sure he, he found that as interesting and as rewarding. But I think I knew and he knew that he'd always come back, he'd always finish out. And I brought him back to Israel for his last six years, and we had a great time here. Uh, he was living here for the last six years the of his life. last six years, I brought him back. And this is before you found these letters? Or oh, after? yeah, yeah, before I found the letters. And what was lovely is uh, he had a good relationship with my children. My youngest son, David, who's a career army officer, was particularly fascinated by my father's story. He, he um, asked my father to take us all around on a tour of Jerusalem to all the places my father had been to. Here's where I did my basic training. This was the Cafe Atara in the, in the day. Right. Here's where the Palestine Post was in the early years. So we had a wonderful last six years with him. But I, I will never fully understand why he didn't make his home here. So I wanted to ask you this, because uh, again, like you said yourself, this, this book, book touches on a number of different levels. So if, obviously, if you're interested in the history of Israel, yeah. fascinating, because you get the first uh, firsthand eyewitness account. Anyone interested in the, uh, the dynamics of family dynamics, fa father, son, right. there's something very special that doesn't come through it in other books. Who do you believe is uh, a very important audience that... If they, if they can, you call out to them, pick up the book, read the book, who, who do you think is important that you'd like to read the book? I'm going to answer that question in a slightly roundabout way. Please. Because there's something, there's another dimension of the book that I think is incredibly important. And that is, I told you that there were many names that he mentions that I recognized and many that I didn't. So I started to research the names that I didn't recognize. And they led to some amazing revelations. And I, I'm going to tell you... Um, I'm going to tell you one. Um, my father describes in the bombing of the Palestine Post that one of his favorite linotype operators, Rubby, was badly hurt. And I dragged him out, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he'll live, and if he lives, he may be blind. Uh, you know, I'm terribly worried for him. I've met his, his three beautiful children. I see them running in Rechavia, you know, and I, I just pray for Rubby, and I hope he'll be okay. Um, Robbie wasn't okay. He eventually succumbed to his injuries. Um, but I was able to actually find Robbie's children. Wow. And um, it turns out that Robbie's youngest child was, is a guy named David Naveau. Friend of ours put us together. Uh, David is 72. He's a very successful high tech and technology executive in Israel with this huge hole in his knowledge because he never knew his father, mm -hmm. and because he never knew exactly what happened. All of a sudden, a stranger shows up who's got an eyewitness account of the event that took his father from him, written by a man who loved his father and who bought him a year or so of life, and finally fills in the details of exactly what happened. Wow. It was incredibly emotional for both me and David, and so when you ask who is the audience, at first the audience started very small. My family. These are my family stories. And I thought, wait a minute, these are David's stories as well, and the children of other people whose stories are told in my father's letters. 
But then the fact of the matter is these stories belong to all of us. I mean, this is Jewish history. So, Ivy, they belong to you as well. Mm -hmm. So what started uh, with a small circle got to be a larger concentric circle and then even bigger. So I, I think the readership is wide. Um, I think anybody who cares about Israel and about interpersonal relationships, about inter-family inter relationships, intergenerational issues uh, could be interested. So um, it, it started off modestly and then just by nature of the things that I learned, it got more ambitious. Well, listen, I, I guess I just want to thank you for, for sharing. I mean, this is something that's very personal. It's, yeah. it's your father's it's your father's letters. And here you are sharing it with the world, in essence. And again, just so people understand, Palestine Post, uh, and, and this, and you get your, it's your father's letters, but you do a beautiful job of weaving in and giving the background information and tying, tying the letters together to the current events and what was happening at the time so you could understand what your father's writing about. So again, kudos to you for really Thank doing you. a wonderful job of, of weaving it all together. Um, and yeah, I definitely, uh, I'm in the middle of reading it. I'm a huge history, Jewish history buff, love the Jewish people, so anything I'm able to get my hands on, I love. But this is definitely a very, very important read. Thank you. Uh, so anyone, how, how do people purchase it? Is it on um, Amazon? It's, avail it's available through Amazon and also at Pomerantz. Um, it is not yet available in Stymaskis. We hope it will be. But um, You have a link to be able to give me that we could put on the post for people to um, order? I will give you one. Okay, wonderful. Sure. So we'll put, we'll put the link here for people to order. A fabulous read. Follow Danny and what he's doing. And maybe this is the first of other wonderful projects he's going to be coming out with. So. Uh, and, and are you speaking? Are you guys speaking I, at places? Yeah. Um, I'm starting on a book tour of North America uh, in a week. Ah, so it's um, all set up already. That's all set up. And I'll be back in, in America in May. And there's some events planned in Israel. Uh, there's a, a, a Meet the Author in Ranana and... There'll be some other events, I hope. Um, so anyone who wants to contact you about going to existing events or, or asking you to, to, to set up an event, how do they contact you? Um, through Stuart Schnee. Um, I'll, give I'll, put, you, I'll put the contact I'll give information you a contact information. But, okay. you know, I love talking about this time period and about these events, and I'd be very happy to come and speak to groups or whomever. You know, I do it with no honorarium, of course. I'm just want to be talking about this time period. That's amazing. And again, you're hearing from Danny about the first-hand eyewitness accounts of his father writing about all the major events that we only know from the history books, the, the bombing right. of the Palestine Post, um, uh, the, the Exodus, uh, the, the Independence War, the War of Independence. His father was there, and he writes about it, writing to the family. And you know the other unbelievable thing that is interesting reading this book today because here you're talking about your father sitting down and writing letters that your family only received weeks later. Today yeah. in an instantaneous world where I send you a message, you get it immediately. All of a sudden your, fa your parents are, are and the siblings of your father are only reading up weeks later. That's very important. And that's something that I talk about in the introduction because, as you say, we live in a time where we expect a response to an email within a few hours and to a, an SMS within minutes. And here, this was a time when people would say, I'm going to spend the evening writing letters. Right. And they would sit down with good paper and a fountain pen and think deeply about how to construct the letter. There was no word processing, so you couldn't just jot down some ideas and then form it. You had to think 
in sentences and paragraphs and ideas, really, and think deeply, and then know that the person who was going to receive it would get it in a few weeks. They would read it hungrily immediately, put it aside, read it again, read it yet again, and then eventually tie it in a red ribbon and save forever. Right. It's a whole different ballgame. Writing this book, I, I was mourning the idea that we will not that. have letters anymore. Right. I mean, and who yes. thinks before they sit down and write in write a correspondence? Like, I seriously. think people thought more deeply then. They took more responsibility. They more were more respectful of their readers. I think it was a different time, right. and I, I I think that's a, a insightful of you that because it's we, we people just don't do that anymore. Right. We don't know that anymore. Right. Well, Danny Shertoff, thank you so much. It's a wonderful you, touching base again, and and your book is definitely a huge. Uh, a huge um, addition to anyone interested in further deepening their own knowledge and, and connection, because you really connect. You're connecting with your father's letters. Anyone will be putting up the link, Palestine Post by Danny Shertoff. Look for it, purchase it, tell others about it, and even invite Danny to be able to speak to your organization or community. My pleasure. Shalom, Thank shalom. You, Thank you, everyone, for watching. Signing off from the ancestral and eternal homeland of the Jewish people, the land of Israel, here in our undivided capital, Jerusalem. Shalom. Thanks for watching, everyone. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.